Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman. Today, I'm joined by Jim Fallon, President and CEO of Parkhurst Energy. J- Jim, thanks for joining us. Paul, thank you for having me. Not at all. So I guess, Jim, you know, we've known each other for a long time. Your entire career has been spent in and around the power markets, both here and, 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 and globally. Um, you're a, a nuclear engineer by, by, by education, amongst other things. I know at least for the last five years or so, you spent a lot of time looking at, thinking about the, the power grid as it is today and, and, and the, the trends and the transformation it's undergoing. I wanted to start off by getting a picture from you of the the power grid of the future. Sure. Yeah. Well, first, I, I, I think in, in summary format, the grid is the generators, the transmission lines, and the smaller distribution lines, and all the associated gear. So when people talk about the power network or the power grid, they're talking about the generators and all the associated uh, infrastructure to, to deliver the power to your house. Um, and so to summarize, the grid today is massive. It um, has a $3 trillion book value, probably a replacement value of around $5 trillion. We, we move about $300 billion worth of commodity across the network every year. It has about 7,000 generating stations. It's a 40, 145 million customers and about 6 million miles of transmission lines and distribution. So it flows almost exclusively big to small, and it's massive. The other way that we look at it is it's highly complex. It's complex both in the way that it delivers the energy, but also in the way that it's regulated and the way that it's managed. There's three primary grids. They're lightly connected. There's the West, there's the East, and there's our great state of Texas here that decided to have its own grid. Uh, but then there's nine operational organizations that manage certain levels of the grid, this federal, state, and local, and even voluntary organizations that regulate it, that put incentives in it. So you can see that it, it doesn't really look like what I would consider other uh, very linear uh, commodities, if you will. It doesn't really mimic a, a natural gas uh, system or the oil infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It's uh, multi-layered and, uh, uh, and, and it's highly complicated. It's also very information, communication, and technology intensive, and that's clearly one of the trends uh, between smart meters and the ability to coordinate all those different layers to deliver the energy. It's, we, we look at it as very intensive, and obviously, it's ubiquitous. You know that it uh, it touches everything, even if you look at uh, the debt, the equity, the commodity markets that the uh, that the network t- touches. It's very significant. If you look at the commodity markets, whether it's a wholesale or a retail. Uh, they're extensive as well. You know, so when we, when we sort of describe what is the grid today, it's massive, it's complex, it's uh, information intensive, and it's ubiquitous. And, um, and that's the way that we describe it. If we're in uh, describing it to, to a potential investor or someone else, we, we always try to summarize it in, in those parameters. And that current state is, is being disrupted though, right? There are a lot of pressures changing that current um, setup. Clearly. So I want, and so let me take you through that. When we look at the trends, we look at, we, we call it the four D's, but there's a lot of different ways to summarize it. So here we try to get things in boxes and think about it. So we think about the four D's. First, it's decarbonizing. So uh, clearly uh, the coal generators and other fossil fuels are coming out of the, uh, coming out of what we call the generation stack. So in 
just to use numbers, and these won't mean uh, anything to most people. In 2011, there was over 300,000 megawatts of coal generation, and now there's around slightly over 200,000 megawatts. By 2030, another 50% of that coal generation will be retired. We believe by 2050, all of the coal generation will come out. And so the system, the network, is being decarbonized. We can talk later about how and why. It is a trend that is happening now. Consistent with the decarbonization is the electric vehicle fleet being pushed to the edge. That is that is something that is happening. That fleet will continue to roll out, and uh, that is another decarbonization uh, effort. The next thing is is it's decentralizing, Paul. So uh, the the grid was originally set up to really be big to small. We have a big generator. It cascades down through transmission distribution system, and it satisfies uh, commercial, industrial, or a home consumer. And so it was uh, set up to, to, to have very large generators uh, almost exclusively and to cascade down. Over time, that has changed, and now is, that change has accelerated. And decentralization can be you know, quite simply characterized by a solar panel on a house. That's, yeah. that's, uh, that's a consumer who decided to go into the generation business, to be quite honest. Uh, and, and, and if enough of them do, you can add them all up and they start to look like a large power plant. They're just simply decentralized and on different people's rooftops. This is, and, this is that de- distributed ahead, generation that people talk about. Yes, that, that, that would be – and there's a lot of different names for it. Distributed energy resources, distributed generation. But if you think about it, uh, where uh, there was always a cost advantage, a structure advantage, having that large centralized uh, power plant. That uh, another theme is that's changed. It's now cost effective to put solar uh, panels on the house. They also quite obviously have other positive attributes, uh, and, and and that's why there's a motivation to mm-hmm. do it. Um, but that but that that is a trend that has started, and and quite simply won't start, won't 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 stop uh, until it's uh, until we're putting significantly more, uh, in this case, solar into the system. And so a lot of the large carbon-based plants will shut down. Probably uh, a fair number of the uh, uh, nuclear plants will be, uh, uh, will be decommissioned over time. And, uh, and smaller, more flexible generation will be pushed to the edge. And to some cases, it'll be put on a house or put exactly next to an uh, industrial commercial uh, installation. Uh, it's also di- digitizing. If you look at the amount of information that it takes now to track and to manage all of those uh, distributed energy resources at the edge, it's significant. And so it's digitizing. That's sort of our third theme of a trend of occurring in the network. It's also degrading. And we, uh, and we say that it's degrading the you know, traditional business model. And it's, um, I think the easiest way to think about that is if you take the generator you disaggregate it and you take it all the way across the network and you put it next to the consumer, well, there's quite a bit of infrastructure that you don't necessarily need anymore because that, that generator is now sitting next to that load. And uh, so it's degrading the traditional participants in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, in the power network. And it's yet to be determined how, how that will all play out. Uh, but so when we go back and we look at the trends, it's decarbonizing, it's decentralizing, it's clearly digitizing, mm-hmm. and it's degrading the traditional business model. So 
I think, Paul, if you put those two together, you say, well, that's great, Jim. Thanks for the history lesson. But what is it going to look like in the future? And can you answer my question? <laughs> I, uh, I, I'll, uh, I'll attempt to do that. So, so what do I think it's going to look like in the future? The coal plants will all be off. The oil and the dual fuel generators that are sprinkled throughout the country, th- those will all be off and decommissioned as well. Unfortunately, in my opinion, a number of uh, 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 atomic energy sites will be decommissioned as well. And then the next step, as you think about the Sun Belt, sort of the Sun Belt in the country, the Sun Belt will have a material amount of solar in it. We will, what we, what we call or say, solar up the Sun Belt, and that'll look like a smile across the U.S. And it'll have material amounts of uh, solar at the house level. At the uh, at the commercial industrial level, and also uh, at the utility scale, it's simply uh, a cost-effective solution to generate power. It's coincident with the peak. That build-out will continue. We also believe that you know, the wind quarters will continue to be built out. There's a saturation point to that. But if you think about having wind in the middle and a lot of solar and batteries throughout the Sun Belt, and that spans all the way from the Carolinas all the way across Florida, Texas, out through the uh, southwest and into California. We believe then you'll need to uh, modify the transmission system. There'll need to be some radial transmission lines. This has been attempted before, uh, but it'll actually have to be done. So that's sort of the, if you think about that's the wholesale system. That's what I believe. That's what I believe will happen. That'll happen over the next several decades. That's not a, a trivial build-out, uh, but that is, I think, um, Technology, capital, and uh, the motivation is there to, to over a period of time, push the, the network in that direction. If you take a step down, then we believe that the home ecosystem, uh, as currently anticipated, will be built out. And what I mean by that is the solar panel and the battery associated with that in the electric vehicle uh, all works. It works now. Uh, we could uh, contend that the price point needs to become slightly more competitive. Uh, it will over time, and when it does, then it will be hard for us to believe that most Americans don't have a solar panel either on their house, in their community, or somewhere near them, that there isn't a battery time shifting some of that power, and that they're not driving an electric vehicle. After that, uh, uh, and consistent with that, and I think this is important, we believe that the transportation fleet will be uh, electrified to, to, a, to a great extent. Uh, we don't think this is a trivialality either. And we don't think it'll happen overnight. Uh, but we do think uh, the transportation fleet turns over uh, once every 12 years. We think on two turns, 25 years, you can go to essentially an entire electric vehicle fleet. That is, we think, tremendously important because we think the electric vehicle fleet provides a dual purpose. And we think electric vehicles are underpriced currently because they are a mode of transportation but they are also a uh, electron transport vehicle. This is this is that storage role as well. Yes, and you can you can you can park your car and store it and time shift electrons at work. You can do it at home. You can do it between home and work. You can be it, it has significant and numerous variations to that, and uh, and we believe that's significant. We believe also that can be done with the current telecom infrastructure. Um, and so uh, uh, that car, that electric vehicle, won't simply sit in your driveway. It's going to be um, uh, uh, pulling off the grid to charge itself, or it's going to be providing you electrons that you need at a critical point in time, 
or electrons that the grid needs at a critical point in time. So we think it's uh, a lot of uh, very, very flexible storage that uh, you can send the right price signal to and you can send the right signal to to act in a certain way. So we think that's critical to the future. Um, And then consistent with all of that, we see a lot less power going through the, think of them about the high voltage transmission lines, Mm -hmm. the large lines. We see that system being somewhat hollowed out and we see the distribution system closer to your home, closer to your business. That probably needs to be enhanced. So I don't think anything I said is, you know, particularly insightful, but it's consistent with the uh, uh, the views uh, above. I think I think the takeaway is is there's a five trillion dollar system, which is really the world's largest machine, and it's on the move, and it's moving from big to small, and it's going to impact everyone across the U.S. I think the benefits at the end are material, both from an environmental standpoint and from an economic standpoint, from a lifestyle standpoint. So there's a lot to unpack there. I think that's it. Thanks for it's a fascinating description of of changes that are real that are here, but also you know where they could take us. It seems that there's a couple of levers there that will either speed up or or or, or slow down that transition. One being infrastructure, and you mentioned it yourself. That's a significant amount of infrastructure that needs to be invested into. But also, I guess the regulatory framework around that that's going to support that level of investment. And you know, there's a lot of um, winners and losers in in that dynamic. Um, what is the regulatory environment, you know, out there? Does it have the capacity to stop that transition in its tracks, or are these inevitable changes that, you know, um, we we ultimately we need going to need regulation to catch up to and support? That is where uh, a problem and an opportunity arises, given the nature of the network given that in some regards it is regulated by various federal entities and in other instances it's regulated by the state and in some cases by local governments, municipalities, cooperatives. It's a significant issue because there is no consistent regulatory framework to work within. People who are going to be able to generate superior returns in the environment are going to have to understand multiple levels of regulation. And actually, that regulation directly uh, impacts how they can be compensated. And uh, um, uh, it, it, it is a significant issue. Uh, uh, broadly, if you look at, uh, on a large-scale basis, the independent system operators, they, scan, they span multiple states, uh, uh, and they have their own framework, their own markets, their own way of compensating participants. They're mostly focused on, um, you know, energy security and making sure that uh, all the consumers receive the appropriate amount of energy at the pro- at the appropriate time. Stepping down from that, there are states. States have other uh, ways to compensate uh, uh, participants, and they have other incentives. M- many of the states are focused on uh, different types of generation, being uh, more environmentally friendly, and they incent the market participants to participate in that manner. Municipalities and cooperatives have uh, different and sometimes similar motivations as well. So you can see that putting an asset in, very often you're going to touch multiple uh, regulatory uh, frameworks in multiple markets. And a matter of fact, many of these now distributed energy resources, there's a whole discussion about uh, the only way to really optimize the economics around them is to be able to uh, create value in a number of those markets simultaneously. So it's very, very complicated. Uh, but going forward, 
the analysis says on the infrastructure side that probably about a trillion dollars has to be spent on the system over a period of probably several decades. To be able to do that, it's going to take both the federal, the state, and the local level to be able to incent people to make the appropriate decisions. Uh, you can clearly see that currently there's production tax credits, there's investment tax credits, there can be appropriate regulation and support, there can be uh, support for siting, um, there can be grants, there can be other types of support to motivate the market participants uh, 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 to install generation and transmission and distribution and storage uh, assets into the grid in a way that all the participants think it's in its best interest. But this is one of the major themes, is that it is uh, the middle. I would say, Paul, if we had to summarize it, the middle is a mess. And, uh, and it's unlikely that the middle is going to become less of a mess anytime soon. That mess is an opportunity, but that mess is also a challenge. And that may also uh, lead us in a direction or lead us to have a discussion of maybe another theme or another opportunity. Because really, what do we think is going to happen? We think that, that there are so many challenges inside of that network and participating inside of that network that uh, the technology players, the players who are used to uh, delivering a commercial solution to the home, they'll quite simply work very hard to deliver, develop and deliver technology solutions to the home or to the um, industry directly. They'll try to go around it. They'll try to cite as close to that load as they can with it as compelling a solution as they, as they can possibly deliver and try to limit their interaction the interaction of that, that network on them. Uh, in some cases, that'll be less efficient, uh, but in many cases, that will be the way that they will go. And, mm. um, and, some of, and some of these market participants, Paul, are quite astute at doing that. And we clearly know Amazon. Amazon is very good at figuring out how to go around the infrastructure, build their own delivery vehicles, and deliver the products and services under their own terms and conditions. And I think you will see Amazon, Amazon-like entities aggressively participate in this marketplace. And they will go around the regulation. They will go around the infrastructure. And, you know, solar panel on a house is, uh, is a pretty clear uh, example of that. And they still need regulation to facilitate that. But it's gone around as much of the infrastructure as possible. And correct me if I'm wrong here. If sure. the majority of your generation is local and is done by renewables, effectively the variable cost of power is going to zero, right? It, it is, yeah. So we're going to go from some reasonable variable cost to a very, very low variable cost. And it oh. becomes more like a a service, you know, it's more like Netflix <laughs> or, you know, or, or just another service you buy into the home rather than the current setup we have contracting with you know, the grid operators. What I guess before we move on to sort of who can win this space in the future, what does that mean right now or over the next decade or, you know, for the current grid operators? Do they even have a shot at participating in this new future? And what does it mean for the price of power itself, the, you know, the, the market structure that we have right now, which has served a lot of entities you know, very well over the last 20 years as we've liberalized the power markets? I guess you would say intuitively that the price of power in the, in the middle of the network, close to the traditional power plants, that price will go down. The traditional hub power that we've thought about before, those prices probably decrease over time. As you say, the variable cost 
uh, of the power at the edge or close to the consumer uh, will be will be to a certain extent zero, but the all-in cost probably slightly goes up to deliver a more environmentally friendly, distributed, uh, balanced uh, 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 service offering at the edge. It's probably probably slightly more expensive, uh, at least in the in the medium term. Uh, what happens to the traditional providers? They have a shot at participating, but they're going to have to have a uh, quite a different uh, commercial orientation to their customers. And traditionally, uh, utilities don't have that flexibility and don't have that knowledge to be able to take significantly different product offerings into their existing customer fleet. They'll probably be eclipsed, quite honestly, by people who will go around them and offer their existing customers a more compelling uh, service offering. But keep in mind, these people and, and the consumers at the edge are not getting off the grid. These uh, solar plants, batteries cannot meet all of their needs. So I really, we don't envision anytime soon that you have this, the, the, these people who are, who are self-generating to the level that they, they are independent. They will still be dependent on the grid and they will still be dependent on uh, the products and services that come from that grid. And that will, uh, although we believe those products and services will decrease over time, that grid will still need to be there. It'll still need to be pushing uh, uh, energy and what we call ancillary services to the to those customers. Uh, those customers cannot generate significant. Uh, they cannot meet their needs uh, on their own, even with storage. So the grid's not going away. The traditional players aren't going away. Uh, but we think they will look significantly different over time, and we and we believe that the grid will have. Uh, significantly less throughput through it over time. And as you, you you talk about that complexity, so from a a power trading or a power movement step, moving electrons, it's no longer going to be at the the wholesale level straight into to the homes. You're also going to have this new layer, as I understand it, of you know household peer to peer trading, so to speak. Whether that's actually you know ever ever seen by the household <laughs> themselves, it's another matter, but. I would say so too. I would put, I would make a variation of that, and um, uh, the variation is is that really kind of the wholesale electricity trading that we uh, somewhat uh, um, developed and built uh, in the '90s and the 2000s is that will come and go, um, and those prices will become less relevant. Um, but there are there is nodal trading already, and really what have a lot of these different entities done, these, these uh, market controlling entities done, is they've broken their system up into little nodes. Nodes could represent uh, maybe, maybe a community in, uh, in Houston. Uh, so it could be a load pocket or could, that node could represent a generator. And they are right now, uh, they generate prices at those nodes now. It's very representative of what's going on locally. And without getting into the details of why they do that, uh, they do it to, 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 to allocate a scarce resource, which is the transmission system. So there are over 50,000 nodes that are tracked and priced and in some, in some, and to a certain extent traded now, Paul. And we believe that really the only relevant numbers that we look at now are really those nodes and below because they impact the value proposition of generation that you put in and uh, electricity that you see to such a, such a great extent. Um, that we track those. And so you can see it's become a lot more granular. So as you go big to small, you disaggregate, you put distributed energy resources, let's say at the edge, close to the load, close to the house, 
that you start to have to have a higher level of granularity. Now, and that also means that you have to understand how you can take your excess and monetize it as it relates to that, let's call it node. And uh, like I said, there are thousands of those nodes. And, um, and, and that's really something that you know as FTRs. Financial transmission rights. Yeah. And that's how they uh, uh, participate in that marketplace. So the node is everything to us. We think the node is what's important. Whether you can get down to what they say, peer-to-peer, quote-unquote, trading, uh, we think it's great to talk about. We think it's a level <laughs> of complexity that before you get there and you can actually architect that, and it's actually cost-effective to do that, we just think there's a lot, a, a, a number of other things that have to get accomplished prior to having two true peer-to-peer, uh, let's call it trading capabilities. Keeping in yeah, mind, there's virtually no regulation that facilitates that, regardless of sort of what, what pitch book you see now. There's virtually no uh, regulatory entity managing any of that distribution or transmission system that wakes up in the morning and has an interest in facilitating that type of arrangement. That's exactly the kind of opportunity that's likely to be captured before it ever got to, you know, the option of you trading your own power. You know, if you have an excess load that day or capacity that day, um, you know, this is this is the Amazons and the Apples who are already in your home in some way, who will offer you the ability to have storage and, and manage it for you, and you know, and uh, you know, you'll pay your price for that service. I assume. Yeah, and they will price advantage that product that they deliver to you. And then they'll manage that excess as they need to do. And they'll do it on an aggregated basis. Um, and even then, Paul, in most regions, there's not the regulatory framework to be able to do that effectively. It will be in the future, and that will, and that will happen. Um, but yeah, it is unlikely that the individual is, uh, is quote-unquote trading their power. But the individual has a lot of decisions to make. They will have to decide... Uh, the type and size of EV that they purchase. They'll have to decide what solar arrays they put in their house. They'll have to decide what batteries they decide. And that'll all impact whether they have excess power, whether they're deficit power. And it'll, all, it'll impact how they interact with that grid. So that's when you talk to me about, well, Jim, the, they're gonna be, there's going to be a significant capital uh, outlay by, let's say, a homeowner. Um, and, but then he's going to get a very low variable cost of generation. That's true. There's a lot of decisions that he has to make in that process. And then you can, you can imagine that probably most homeowners aren't going to want to manage that. And so they'll find a way to get that effectively managed. We believe when it comes to that, uh, it's very likely that a very astute player will come and probably uh, offer you those assets and also offer to manage those assets for you. I guess two things, right? It would be firstly access to the home. You're, you're in there already, mm-hmm. more likely, yep. Um, yep. whether it's a cable provider or, you know, sure. Apple. But secondly, just yep. the sheer complexity of the data that you would need to manage to make that system. You're probably going to be a technology player than you are a, yep. a hardware player, so to speak. You would assume so. There's one or two that come to mind. And so you, you do have to have that. And so you have to have a dominant. Uh, technology position, and you have to be very commercially astute. And uh, um, not that others can't do it, and others can't start to do it, but there are some existing players that you say they have a great foot in the door, if you will. So it's not illogical for them to go down that road. And we believe that the technology, by and large, is there. The telecommunications capability is there, and it just 
waiting for a player to participate. Mainly, we're speaking about the U.S. Are there analogies? Are there learnings that we can take from other other grids around the world? You know, what what's going on on the global level? I, I know, you know, Germany have trialed this within cities, or you know, at least that sort of um, distributed generation networks and so forth. What what else is out there that can give us an indication of what the future looks like? And I don't pretend to be an expert on sort of the global landscape. If you do look, Germany and others have been quite successful in putting material amounts of renewable uh, resources into the grid. And, and, and like all things, Paul, you can read a number of studies and articles that will argue both sides of that case. They'll say they have been successful, they haven't been successful. From a distance, it's not always simple to ascertain really whether they were or not. It does appear to be that you can put material amounts of uh, solar and wind into our system. You're going to have to uh, uh, also put associated storage in there, batteries and other types of storage, be able to balance it effectively. But the grid will operate in that, in that configuration. I think what we're proving to ourselves and other nations are proving is if you take the next step over and you also look at, let's just call it the home ecosystem. Will the, will the electric vehicle, the battery, and the solar panel work? Can we get those to work in coordination? I think other grids and other, let's just call it energy infrastructure, energy markets are indicating to us that that will, in fact, work, that it will work on a cost-effective basis, and that is something that can be managed effectively. So I think we take that away from a lot of players. That, um, but I think we're all going to be working on this somewhat simultaneously. A market or two may be ahead of us, but I really think at the end of the day, the U.S., even though it's fragmented at the wholesale level, um, will really probably lead a lot of these innovations, uh, quite simply because it's open. Much of the prices are transparent, uh, and we have significant commercial technology participants here. I think over time we'll drive uh, uh, that type of uh, innovation. But um, but I think yeah, Germany's Germany's a good example. Is there an analogy? And I'm thinking here about cell phones. Mm-hmm. You know, in the developing world, where they some you know some countries have yet to build really substantial grids on the wholesale level that you could see those those countries, those regions somewhat, you know, leapfrog straight into a distributed energy setup? Is there an opportunity there? Oh, I think that's occurring now. I mean, I think that's occurring in portions of Africa and other locations. They, they don't, they simply don't have the resources to build out a, a, a robust central station driven grid. So um, I, one, taking a step back, I think that is a great analogy. Um, really, what it what what it what did the cell phone providers do? They came in and they put up cell phone towers. They went around the traditional utility. Uh, they didn't engage them. They didn't use them for resources, and they simply took technology in a commercial offering and went around them. I, I think that's very similar to what's going on here. Is that by and large, what you're seeing is uh, you're going to see a multi-decade effort to 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 go around both the traditional utility as well as the infrastructure that's been put in place. Um, but yeah, no, you, you, will, uh, uh, you will see that throughout the world, I think, of uh, where I don't think you actually see robust grids like we're built, built again. I think mm. exactly what you said, that uh, there'll be uh, localized, distributed resources. Um, it'll still take some coordination, Paul, and uh, it's not simple to take renewable energy resources and meet all of your energy needs. And most people will say now you can't do it. The wind simply doesn't blow enough. 
and there's not sun 24 hours a day and batteries aren't big enough to time shift it. So you have to have something to fill in those periods of uh, unavailability. And um, to the extent that those can be addressed, then you don't necessarily need to have a robust grid around your, uh, around your power needs. Hmm. So you've built energy trading platforms um, over the last 20 years at the wholesale level. Mm-hmm. What do you think the power trader of the future um, looks like from a skill set standpoint, or, or, or even if they exist? Quite candidly, I'm not sure they exist. There's probably some of my friends who are, wouldn't be happy. <laughs> I just lost some um, listeners. Um, and, and, but, but I think if you go into uh, many shops, that power trader is really probably someone who's more has a more orientation to the nodal side. And that power trader is someone who's very comfortable understanding the granular nature of the network. It's someone who understands the impact of sort of the grid and the supply demand characteristics that like we talked about the nodal level. So um, I don't think there is really a role for sort of a traditional boy. I think it's going up. Let me buy some power today. Uh, person on a desk, I think is uh, quite different. And I think it takes quite a bit of detailed understanding to be able to effectively deploy capital in a, in a power trading role. I mean, you, you need to understand not just the generation and not just the, uh, uh, the demand side, but you must understand what we call the network topology. You need to understand how the transmission grid is going to move over time. And that's really based on those, uh, nodal characteristics, if you will. So yeah, it's quite mm. complicated. I mean, really, I think effective traders now on the power side are are really uh, uh, usually uh, individuals who can who can code, and individuals with an engineering background, engineering uh, individuals uh, many times have significant educational background in power networks. So I think um, the days of the novice and the days of the person who don't uh, do not understand the dynamics of the network. Being effective traders, I think, I, I, I think those days, if they're not over, they're, they must be close. And I guess, though, as markets get disruptive, disrupted, that typically leads to much more volatile periods than you know a slow decline in prices or whatever it might be. I'm just thinking about you know if if we're, we're five, ten years into this journey, and for the most part, a household or a city is reliant on distributed generation. It's when you exceed your, um, you know, when you have a demand for, you have to draw from the wholesale sure. grid. That probably would be a very expensive thing to do, you know, as those grid operators are having to maintain all that infrastructure, you know, for the most part, you know, they, they can start, I don't know, price gouging. It's probably the wrong term, but I can imagine that being quite a, you know, a, a volatile market at the wholesale level. If you, you know, if it really is just a backup system to when households exceed their capacity of their their, you know, home generation capabilities. I think I, th- I think that's true. I think, um, but that's not a scenario that you're painting that would be an attractive trading scenario. Simply waiting for some period of significant, probably short. Uh, short duration uh, volatility that you're trying to take advantage of that's very, very hard to predict, that becomes very problematic from a trading standpoint. Um, so I think really what what is, you know, thematically everything that we talked about before from a trading standpoint, the market's going around the trader, right? I mean, physically, right? Physically from a product offering, 
And what you're saying is absolutely true. Well, you can continue to sit in the middle and wait for those periods of disruption, and those will be quite significant. I would, I would very much agree with that. I think that's true. I think um, not only do you have to have those periods to be, to be able to effectively trade, but you have to be able to predict those uh, periods. And you have to be able to participate in them and not over-participate in them. And I would say, um, uh, unless those are quite frequent, uh, that might be uh, quite a, a, a lonely job over time. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so that's my, you know, that's that's uh, clearly one man's opinion. I don't think it necessarily happens tomorrow, but I think the people who participate in this, in a, um, I guess you could say, from a trading standpoint, uh, will really be at the nodal level and will understand what's going on at a very granular basis, and will be able to project that. The real key is maybe not understanding what's going on today or this hour. I think most people could observe that through various platforms. It's being able to understand what's going on today, uh, gathering, processing, and analyzing the available information and being able to project that. And to be quite honest, Paul, there's very few people who can do that consistently and effectively. They'll have a significant role in the intermediation. So really going back, I mean, think about it. When we built out those original desks, we, we were intermediating the big generator to the small meter. And we sat in the middle, consistent with the picture that we painted today. Um, well, if you tell me that uh, the industry's going around the middle, then uh, it's it, 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 it's uh, maybe less attractive to, to sit in the middle of it. And, and that's where Parkhurst Energy comes in, right? I guess now you're at the forefront of building that greater understanding at the nodal level, at that more granular level, to to essentially do the same. Well, at least have that information and data available to then, you know, to 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 um, commercialize it. Is that right? Yes, and I mean, it, no, no, absolutely. And so, what, what do, what did we say? Uh, um, uh, we completed a very, very uh, large engagement, and then we looked at our uh, business, and we were trading. We were the traditional in the middle uh, power traders. We discontinued doing that. We said that's not going to be something that's going to provide attractive returns in the future, and let's move the platform to the edge. And we now structure and uh, originate transactions that involve uh, distributed energy resources. We've recently aggregated thousands of rooftop solar facilities and, and aggregate them and then monetize them into a, uh, an active marketplace. So we're sort of uh, going down the road of uh, executing along what our belief set is, that, that simply setting in, sitting in the middle and trying to intermediate a market that's somewhat going around that is is uh, less and less attractive each day yeah yeah so we pivoted the platform i guess the the trillion dollar question is <laughs> what, what what are the time frames here what you know what do you think is the inside and the outside for 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 where we are today to that kind of that, that future grid state you described right at the start of the podcast i think the time frames unfortunately are long but I think the change is assured. When I look, you know, Paul, again, like we talked about earlier, if you look at uh, the transportation fleet turns over, there's different estimates, but let's say every 12 years, it's unlikely that you would, in one turn of the, of the vehicles, of the cars that we see out our windows, that we would turn everyone over in one turn, that everything would be an electric. It's not unreasonable that that would happen maybe after two turns. Well, that's that's twenty something years, Paul. So um, I, I think that could t that could take quite some time. Uh, 
solar and batteries to take some time. Uh, clearly, uh, recessions don't help. Clearly, pandemics don't help. Clearly, trade wars don't help. And uh, no. so there's a number of things that can that can slow down the progression. Um, and then there's also, uh, you, you know, I think a thing that could be discussed for uh, certainly with your metals uh, traders. Uh, you know, there's a whole discussion that there's not enough rare earth metals and other metals to support this transition to uh, clean energy and a distributed grid that we, we, we simply can't make enough batteries and solar panels and other critical gear to be able to uh, facilitate this transition. There's not, we can't dig up enough dirt and find enough uh, appropriate metals to be able to facilitate that. O honestly, I don't know whether that's true or not. I've read a number of studies that support that notion. I've read a lot of articles that attempt to debunk it. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't have a good answer. Um, but I think there's a lot of challenges going forward. So if you go back and you say, okay, what is the time frame? I think, unfortunately, every year we will make significant progress along this line, but I think it's several decades. But this will absolutely not change. We are going to a distributed architecture. We are going to an electric vehicle battery and by and large, solar to the extent that you have the right uh, orientation at your house, and uh, and there'll be a lot of other distributed resources at the edge. The, the grid as we know it will not be the same. We will not go back. Well, Jim, I think that's been fascinating. Um, I've really enjoyed the the insight and the discussion. Um, thanks very much for uh, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. I appreciate it. Excellent. I look, look forward to checking back in in the future and seeing, seeing where we are on the journey. Absolutely. Check in at any time. Thank you for listening to the HC Insider podcast. To find out more about HC, go to hcinsider.global, where there's more news and content focused on the commodities markets.